Hi, and welcome to Canada Obscura. My name is Mary. And I'm Shelly. And this is a podcast that we're going to be doing where we cover all sorts of spooky, scary stuff that takes place here in Canada. So ghost stories, folklore, um, monsters and creatures, probably. Mm -hmm. And, of course, crime. Crime. Uh, both of the solved and unsolved versions. Yes. Uh, both mass murder, or not mass murder, I guess mass murder. Mass murder, murder, serial killer. Serial killer. Um, and the sort of, I guess, one-off. Uh, one-off sounds really insensitive, but you know what I mean. Yes. So just a bit of a disclaimer, uh, neither Mary nor I are experts in any of the aforementioned fields, although Mary does have a minor in... Forensic psychology. Uh, we actually we both met in uh, university. I was doing life sciences, and Shell was doing forensic science. Yes. So I do kind of know my shit on that. Oh, also, we're going to be swearing a lot. Yeah. Just <laughs> FYI, um, if that is something that is bothersome, I apologize, but uh, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. <laughs> um, also, obviously, kind of listener discretion. Um, we're going into some not just like the ghost stories. Usually aren't that bad, but the uh, murders are more entertaining than anything. But our murders very gruesome most yeah. of the time, and even the uh, ones that we're covering today, they get they get kind of descriptive. So um, just a fair warning about that. But yes, we are talking about murder and guts and blood and rape and all sorts of terrible things. Yes, right. uh, and again on the level of expertise, although I am a forensic science major, I have very little law knowledge. I only studied one law class in um, my university studies, and that was specifically on expert testimony. So I can't comment on that, but on the rest of the pro- process is a little bit... Yeah, I have zero legal knowledge, so I am just flying off the seat of my pants, but I, I am very opinionated. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think we we have a very like rudimentary understanding, but I think it's enough to be able to tell when some stuff is wrong. Um, yeah. Or at least could be troublesome with the law, but yeah. Anyway, let's so. uh, let's just jump jump in, I guess. Yeah. Um, ooh, my Amazon order shipped. Oh, <laughs> okay, so I'll start because mine's short. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna be talking about the Banff Springs Hotel, which is a very famous hotel. It's also known as the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel, and this is in the Banff National Park in uh, Alberta, which is a gorgeous, like, huge... If you think of the Stanley Hotel in The Shining, this is pretty much kind of what it looks like. I know the Stanley Hotel was supposed to be having based off something else, but honestly, with the way it looks, with the ghost stories, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Stephen King took a bit of inspiration from this, too. The hotel was opened in 1888. It took only one year to build, Meanwhile, construction on Highway 7 has been going on for about 13 years. Oh, my God. Yeah, since I moved to where I am now. Yeah. Um, And it has undergone, obviously, renovations and expansions. And it's also had a lot of very famous guests, including Marilyn Monroe, Queen Elizabeth II, and Helen Keller. And honestly, it is on my bucket list to visit. So um, maybe I'll find a ghost. one day, yes. Maybe I'll find a ghost. Unfortunately, domestic flights in Canada are expensive as fuck. Oh, my God. They're so expensive, which doesn't make any sense because we're the same goddamn country. I know. I can fly to Sweden from here, and it'll be cheaper for me to fly there. Go to Vancouver. go to Vancouver. We're out of Ontario, by the way. We're out of the greater Toronto area. And, like, that's that's, that's pretty (laughs) ridiculous. That makes me so angry. Um, Yes. And also, I don't expect this hotel to be very cheap to stay in. No. Because it is is considered, I think, technically a resort. Um, Mm, Okay. It's you know, in the national park. Yeah. Uh, and because it is so old, it is also considered to be super haunted. I think it's considered one of the most haunted places in Canada. Um, it's also kind of one of the oldest, so no surprise yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, there's a couple of famous stories. There's, um, you might recognize this from The Shining, there is apparently a barman who haunts the hotel, uh. <laughs> um, except instead of, you know, encouraging you to kill your wife and kid, he will try and encourage very drunk um, guests to just turn in for the night, which is very sweet. Oh, that's responsible. Yes. That's a ghost you want around. Exactly. More responsible than most college kids. Uh, (laughs) There's also a ghost story of a bellhop um, who apparently loved the job so much that he just decided to stay there after he died. 
and also a bride who tripped on her ball gown, fell down the stairs, and broke her neck. Yikes. Which is something I would probably do, to be honest. Mazel tov. Jeez. Um, That's terrible. But the story that appeals to me the most is the story of room 873. Because it includes a murder, not like the other stories where they were unfortunate accidents or just very clingy ex-employees. And there is actually kind of a real element of mystery to it. Now, unfortunately, there's not actually much on the story itself, which basically says a man, his wife, and a young daughter were staying in room 873 of the Banff Hotel. One night, the man went mad and killed both his wife and daughter. Um, In some versions, it does say that he also took his own life. Um, Some versions just don't talk about what ended up happening to him at all, but I assume that's probably the most plausible outcome because... um, like Even the suicide. yeah, yeah, and the stories that mention like that don't say what happened to him also don't say that he got arrested, which you know I would assume would happen. Yeah, well, that's the way. It, that's usually how it goes, right? It's either murder suicide or murder attempted suicide, and then or murder and tries to run from the flee. cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. But there was no, you know, they're still looking for him kind of business. So we, no, I assume yeah. that he apparently took his life. Okay. Other problem is, and I've tried searching everything I could. But there's nothing that really substantiates the story. Right. Um, there's That's no... most ghost stories. Yeah. It's just kind of like we heard this crazy thing that happened. And what, you know, perpetuates the story is that go- uh, not ghosts, huh, guests um, mm-hmm. apparently report some ghostly happenings whenever mm-hmm. they stay in this room, which includes kind of the usual, they hear screaming in the middle of the night, um, sometimes... Flipping. Yeah, something scary, scary noises. They'll turn on the lights um, to see bloody handprints on the mirror, and they'll okay, same. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> sometimes you know when you're just when that time of the month hits. <laughs> oh boy, um, but yeah, yes, basically, kind of very typical ghost story stuff. What is interesting though is that obviously room eight seventy three does exist, mm-hmm. um, or it did. So the hotel rooming system works the same way you would expect. Every floor um, represents the first digit, and then the other digits are just, you know, sequentially the door number. So on room or room 73 on floor A would be 873. So all other rooms, of course, have a corresponding room 73, but not on the eighth floor. And if you actually um, walk down that hallway where the room is supposed to be, you'll see lights above all the doors for the other rooms, and then you'll see one light, and it's just a blank space on the wall. Yeah. Gasp. Yes, gasp. <laughs> um, and, you know, people say if you knock on the wall, you'll start hearing a point where it actually sounds hollow. Okay. Um, and if you look on the baseboard, it's actually cut where a door normally would be yeah. um, because the rooms go, like, 872, 874, and then there's et cetera, just et one missing spot. Gotcha. Yeah. So there is some element of mystery there. Um, but the hotel staff are not af- allowed to talk about it. So people oh, who... Ha- not, yeah. yeah. People who have tried asking um, say they receive a sort of scripted response. I haven't actually seen what that response is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and this goes with any of the hauntings or the supposed hauntings in Banff Hotel. The employees just aren't allowed to talk to it, which I kind of understand. I mean, yeah. you don't want to freak people out. Yeah, right? but you know what? It's a, it's like a double-edged sword situation or if that even, whatever, um, if that analogy even applies. But it's like, do you want that, like, quote-unquote bad press of being haunted or do you want to, like, totally outsell yourself being like, come visit the haunted hotel. Yeah, but this you know? is a Fairmont hotel, so That's I don't true. think they're it's going for bougie. that. A little too bougie. Yeah, I don't think they're going too for that. Too bougie for your ghost stories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so there obviously was that room, so I guess the mystery there is why was it sealed? Yeah. Because if the murder did happen, I mean, there's no record but of it. But you know what? Um... I might be just pulling this out of my ass, but, like, I'm pretty sure that hotels do have, like, every hotel has, like, suicides that happen, people who just happen to die, you know, like, domestic violence and stuff like that. Like, this can't possibly be 
the only thing to or ever happen. Yeah, or the worst thing to ever happen at this hotel, especially considering how old it is. And so I don't know. I don't know if that would be it or if it would just be like, I, mean, I don't know. Well, we were kind of saying before, um, like possible reasons why. And it could just be there's faulty wiring or bad plumbing mm-hmm. that it just was more worth it to cut off the room than Absolutely. to That's try true. and fix it. Well, especially a hotel that old. That kind of a renovation would be, like, massive. Oh, yeah. Massive. Especially with all the old wiring, old piping, old walls, everything. So, Yeah, there's probably a boring know. reason why it was boarded up. Yeah. But the fact that no one will say anything. It's just kind of, yeah. Because yeah. I, I would just imagine, like, I mean, the hotel was built in 1888. So yeah. this supposed murder could have happened as early as, I don't know, 1900. Which yeah. is... A, f- a long enough time ago where if something did happen, it could be relatively easy for the hotel to cover up. That's very true. I didn't even think about it that way because, like, if it was so old, too, and they're trying to, like, brush past it, if it was yeah. one of the first occurrences or the first occurrence of violence, um, that could that could definitely be it. Yeah, it might just be better. You know what? Fuck it. We're going to board it up and just, like, pretend it didn't even happen. Yeah. yeah. And there's enough of a mystery to it that... I think it appeals to certain kinds of guests like sure. us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not so kitschy and touristy that it cheapens the name of the hotel because yeah, it really sure. is a gorgeous hotel. Wow, uh, it's a fair amount. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. short one because honestly, ghost stories don't really hold up much water. No, no, they tend to be more um, hearsay <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better term. It tend to be more like. A friend of a friend told me that uh, I heard well, this they, thing. Like they probably boarded up the room, and then someone was just like, "Oh, I wonder why? Why did they board up the yeah, room?" Yeah, and, and then it becomes a whole. I mean, unfortunately, is it familicide? Familicide. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so. Yeah, but basically, familicide. Oh, whatever. Sorry, but continue. that sort of mortar, mortar. Wow, moida. <laughs> that sort of murder is unfortunately very common. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is, and especially it goes hand-in-hand with domestic violence and domestic abuse, which is incredibly unfortunate. Um, But, yeah, so I I would not, yeah, I would not be surprised if that was literally just it, like something happened, or if there was just faulty wiring, and they were like, it's it's too hard. Ah, Screw it. It's eighth floor, (laughs) fuck it. Like, (laughs) it's not like, yeah, it's not even ground floor. We could just kind of, like, whatever. But what I was wondering is if this was, I don't know the, the layout of the Manf Hotel, but I'm wondering if this is maybe... A room with a view. If there's a window, and you know, if they just bricked up the window, or what, or if they boarded it. Because up if and, they did break up the window, I'm pretty sure you'd, be, you'd still be able to see a sill. Yeah, you yeah. would see the outline. Yeah. Um, but granted, the hotel is huge, so yeah. you might need binoculars to find it. Yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know. I wonder if you can find a, a picture on like Google Images of like the exterior. Google, just like Google. just count the rooms. But yeah, like sixty-eight. Yeah, because it's not seven, like I have seven, anything. Yeah, anything else to do with Jeez. my time. Um. Yeah, I think we forgot to mention that we're both very skeptical people. Yes, there's we're very that. very skeptical people. We um. Although I don't, I don't like to say a, like a, a definitive. There is no existence of other stuff because I think it's, it's possible. I, it's possible. That's the thing. And um, there are a lot of people who argue like that. Oh well, science dictates blah. It's like no, 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 no. Like a, a big thing that we've learned while doing like science is that a lack of evidence does not necessitate a lack of existence. Yeah. Which is a huge thing because there have been so many instances in like biology, uh, physics, chemistry, like history, um, where we thought something wasn't there because we didn't find it, but then later on, decades later, we find out that it either was there or it was just due to something else. Or well, it's like, like um, bacteria. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I just still remember, I, this is completely off track, but there was this theory that, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like spontaneous creation. Yes. Where they put like a piece of meat in a jar and then it was yes. like, oh, there's stuff All growing sudden, out of it. There's maggots. Yeah. Uh, no. Except, no, it was just like. Flies have come in and laid eggs. Before um, you got to before it. Before you yeah. got to it. So it's, it's yeah. So I try, not, I try not to definitively say, no, ghosts aren't real or whatever. The spiritual world doesn't exist. But we are skeptical and we will always look for a scientific explanation yeah, first. Yeah, and with. The problem with a lot of these ghost stories is that there is no information. There's, yeah. It's all just people talking. And the thing is that people get, um, they they get influenced very easily. And it's also a game of broken telephone, too. Yeah. So, like, I could tell, I could tell the story, and then by the time it reaches Cindy over there, it's like a completely different story. Yeah. So, anyway, 
So that was interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Banff Hotel. Um, Does anyone ever want to say, like, Banff Hotel? Like, badass motherfucker? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I was, you know what? Okay, total derailment. When I was, like, a kid, I thought it was Banff. Like, badass <laughs> motherfucker. And I was like, wow, that's a really cool place to name a place, city. Like, I can't believe it. Wow, is that what that, 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 that acronym is from? Like, oh, my God. Like, I was a stupid child. Anyway. <laughs> um, so I'm going to be presenting the true crime aspect of today. And, um, Don't forget, you're getting graded on this. Uh, I'm going to fail. Um, so the person that I'm doing it on, his name is Peter Woodcock. And, um, well, like we said earlier that we're focusing on stuff in Canada. Um, this guy was born in Peterborough, Ontario, which is not too far from where we are. Um, and then he went on to live life in Toronto, downtown Toronto, because, um, well, he was born to a teenage mother. Um, he was breastfed for a month before he was put up for adoption, and then he went to go, uh, he was uh, actually in and out of foster homes before he made it to his uh, final um, foster family. And this is kind of, it's it it's important because it made an impact on his life because after breastfeeding with his mother and then being put up for adoption, he was no longer able to connect with anybody. And he had feeding problems because he had already made that sort of connection to his mother. Um, which is, it, it, it's terrible. And um, But as an infant, like, he was like, taken from home to home he is having these issues and then he was also being abused on top of it um surprised to be honest yeah and like after like by the time he was one he was like terrified of people like even going anywhere near him and um he didn't his speech was incoherent and described as strange whining animal noises so not even your regular regular infant babble just Mm. whining um which is (laughs) creepy it's creepy and not normal um yeah so yeah and he was like he was very physically abused and then at two years old he had to seek medical or was given medical treatment for a neck injury um after a beating that he received wait how old two years old what the fuck i know he was beat so badly that he had an injured neck wow Uh, yeah um and he, he, like, he wasn't placed into a stable home. It was his final, like, family that I'm calling it until he was three years old. Um, and his uh, his parents, his new parents, his foster parents, were an upper-middle-class couple. And his mother was described as, and I quote, a forceful woman with an exaggerated sense of propriety. So what yeah. I'm reading that is she would beat him if he stepped a toe out of line. Yeah. Yeah. You get that too, that. right? Forceful woman with an exaggerated sense of propriety. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he is coming from a very troubled childhood, very um, maladjusted and um, like inconsistent household too. He did, yeah, yeah. That's, at such a young age, I can only imagine how difficult that can be because yeah. you're, I mean, at that point you need sort of the most nurturing, right? Absolutely. And you're not, A, you're not being nurtured by the same people no. and B, these people aren't actually not nurturing. nurturing you. So like it's, <laughs> it's very, it's a very unfortunate situation and um uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, psychopaths who are, you know, will be predominantly the subject of these true crime serial killing situations. Um, they tend to have a, like, well, the reason why they become psychopaths tends to be a mixture of, like, biological and environmental factors. Yeah, there's so, certainly patterns. Patterns, yes, that's a good way to put it. And, um, yeah, so, like, the biological aspect does come into it. Like, you do need to be biologically uh predisposed yeah yeah because there are plenty of people who have been abused to hell and back as children and who will never raise a fist or a hand to anybody but um taking that biological factor and also an incredibly abusive maladjusted uh, childhood where it's troublesome and you aren't able to make connections with other people it's it's a recipe for disaster well i mean it's like um like being east asian and also diabetes does apparently run in my family so i have a higher predisposition to diabetes. Now, I, you know, hopefully, not that I'm eating well now, but, you know, with a good diet and stuff, I could live my entire life without Ever. going anywhere close. Yeah. But if I was brought up in, um, I want to say stereotypically American yeah. <laughs> family where I'm eating McDonald's every day and, I, like, I have candy at home all the time, which I don't. You're doomed to um, failure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very, very similar kind of situation here. Um, 
Yeah, so, like, it's not everybody, so, which is a good thing, but unfortunately, that is what Peter Woodcock is. Um, but anyway, so, um, it wasn't until he was around five that he stopped, like, screaming whenever anyone approached him. I mean, um, I kind of relate to that. I know, same, right? I like my personal space. I know, right? But, um, I, the way that they mean it is very, like, alarming. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I assume you mean literally just screaming. screaming. Yeah. And uh, which is very significant because a child that screams when anybody comes nearby, that is like a huge marker of abuse. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Um, But yeah, he so like he did stop screaming by around the age of five, but he was still strange and he was always bullied. Um, Which probably didn't help. No. And he would like wander as a kid. He would just like get up and leave. And I don't know if it's like to escape. I don't know what it was, but he would uh, like constantly be found very far away from home. And I... Uh, they don't really go into why he's been what, but like now, my assumption would be that he's being bullied and or we abused. Were, um, I don't think he actually said when he was born. This was oh, the... I didn't know. Sorry, he was born March fifth, nineteen thirty nine. So this was a while ago. So what he would have been five in the forties. This is what this is like during World War Two. Yeah. Um, so, so the thing is, like, when you have a five-year-old, five- to six-year-old wandering, I think even at that time, I know parents tended to be a lot more lax in Yeah, it was a different decades, time, and I know it wouldn't be, like, a huge but, situation, but someone that young, that, that's why, they like, they went and they would they would go find him, but, like, he would, he, that's, that's the thing, he would constantly wander trying to hide from the other children. Uh, so it's, which is, anyway... Um, don't feel bad for him yet. No, no. I know we're painting him out to like, well, because like. Usually I, that's what it is, though. A lot of these serial killers have it starts really off with tragic. A, yeah, really tragic childhoods. Um, of course, that doesn't even come close to excusing or okaying anything they've ever done. But yeah. like, we do just want to set the um, scenario that, you know, it, it wasn't all sunshine and roses. And there's a reason why people kind of like. Yeah, I mean, go some off people. In this direction. Some people do just go off in this oh, direction absolutely, anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. But like he but falls under the category where it was like it was pushed. Yeah, exactly. Um, so because he was such like a, well, they they say fragile emotional state. As a child, um, his parents, his adoptive parents, uh, brought him to the hospital of sick children, also known as sick kids, which is a very very major hospital here in Toronto, um, and does a whole lot of really amazing work. Um, and he received extensive treatment, um, and he was also sent to a private school with the attempt to, like, kind of integrate him into society, but that didn't work. So we're assuming that the extensive treatment is psychological. Yeah, I'm yeah. assuming. I'm assuming because, well, because the fact that they say fragile emotional state, yeah. I'm assuming he was getting therapy and seeing a psychiatrist and, like, the yeah. whole nine yards. But, yeah, so um, sending him to private school didn't work. Um, he did not make friends. He was still isolated, and... Um, well, he the okay. There was a children's aid society representative, however you want to call it, um, who would check up check up on him because he was you know a, like a what they call they call, what, they call it a ward of the state in the states, right? A ward of the I don't know. Like own <laughs> like because he was a foster child, so it's the government's oh, yeah. duty even after being adopted or like taken in as final he, foster. I don't. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he was. I think he was just, like, literally just a foster child, but it was his final spot. Mm-hmm. Like, he stayed with his family, but they still have to check up on him as part of their duties. Um, so at the age of 11, he was described as an angry little boy. And I'm not going to go into the whole, like, uh, the direct quote that was taken from this report. But uh, one thing I am going to notice is, or rather mention, is that he acted very nervously. Like, he just the way that he would walk and look around and talk was, like, very erratic. And um, he appears to act out almost everything he thinks and demonstrates excessive affection for his foster mother, both of which are just like, red flag, red flag, red flag. (laughs) I think I've lost count of the number of red flags at this point. I know, I know. He had little capacity for self-control, which is terrifying. And, like, especially at the age of 11, you're not a toddler anymore who's just, like, screaming and banging around that, I want this, or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's, like, at the age of 11, you should absolutely have self-control. At least some. At least some self-control. I mean, not that me as an adult have much self-control. Yeah, but you know what what I mean, too. And then, like, there's just no filter that he just, like, acts out everything that he thinks. And, like, also the excessive affection to his foster mother is terrifying. 
Well, but again, Rick, he forms an attachment to his birth mother. Yes. Before he was, you know, given into the system. Yes. So not that it's, I don't think it's the fault of the birth mother. I mean, no, how old was she like not. 17? She tried. She was yeah. young. She was a 17-year-old factory worker. worker. So she like, and in Peterborough too. Like um, for those of you who don't know, Peterborough is like a small town. It's gotten yeah. bigger now, but like at the time it would have been like quite literally nothing. Mm-hmm. So she's a factory worker. She's 17 years old. I'm assuming unwed because there's no mention of a father. Yeah, which makes it even worse. And this is in the 30s. So, like, yeah, she probably, she breastfed him for a month. And I'm assuming it was kind of like, I can't do this. Like, it's not something I can do. And I I mean, I don't want to, like, put any shame to parents who do have to put their kids up for adoption. Because it's, it is a difficult choice. It's incredibly difficult. And you hope that, you know... You've the system, the right yeah, the system the, does the best for your child better but, than you can, but that but doesn't always turn. It out doesn't always case. turn out no, and unless you're like adopting out your 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 child to like a couple that you've done like the extensive like interviews and yeah. all that stuff, and you know you're handing it off to what you are assuming is going to be a good fit for them, um, you can't guarantee that, especially with the foster system, mm-hmm. which is why he was passed from house to house, or sorry, home to home. Um, or rather house to house is more apt, I guess. But yeah, so um, he had no friends. Um, he would play occasionally with younger children. Uh, but like with kids his own age, he was just like unable to relate, unable to understand. Just mm-hmm. there was no connection whatsoever. And they were bullying him. Yeah, they were. Um, but he did have violent fantasies. And this Great. Children's Aid Society person knew that. Uh, the social worker. That was the word I was looking for. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So the social worker took him, took him to the Canadian National Exhibition, which is like this big... Um, the CNE. The VX. VX, as we call it here. Um, it's like, there's a... Um, I think it's called the Fairgrounds, the Exhibition Fairgrounds, technically. Uh, Maybe? Or the Exhibition Grounds. I exhibition don't Grounds, yeah, I think you might be right. It's like this big um, area in downtown Toronto where there's like all these um, buildings of like stadiums and like showrooms yeah. and stuff like that and every summer for two to three weeks um the city has what is called the well the canadian national exhibition like the cna yeah, the it's like a it's like a fair there's like rides and food so much food a lot of like the hipster food the gimmicky deep, food that you the see. deep fried oh deep well, fried everything. what was it that we had last year um other than the 50,000 tiny Tom Donuts. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, I th- oh, the uh, deep fried spaghetti balls. Oh, yeah. Those yes. are so good. Um, yeah, just stuff like that. Very, yeah. Um, so, But normally it's empty. Normally it's empty. And, yeah. like, there, there are, um, it does get used. For, there's also the Budweiser stage in there, the stadium. Whatever they do, the soccer games there. Yeah, the BMO Field. Yes. Um, like, oh, the buildings. called yeah. now? Oh, Jesus. The I'm buildings so get used during the year yeah. for other things yeah. on occasion. Yeah. Um, but usually the grounds themselves are empty and then they're completely packed when the fair actually happens. Yeah, it's it's an absolute nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> you just I, I just see the, the flashbacks. It's so bad. <laughs> like it's packed. And um yeah, no. It's it's fine throughout the rest of the year. Like I I saw a couple of shows there. Like I saw mm-hmm. Tyler the Creator there and I saw um If I Were You, which is a podcast, another podcast funny <laughs> with my brother. It's Jake and Amir from College Humor and I went I used to Listen to them when I was there. Wow, this is a total derailment. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> like, we went... Th- anyway, back to this. We'll probably um, get that. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, yeah. So, she, uh, the social worker took him to the, the uh, Canadian National Exhibition. And that's where Woodcock said, and I quote, I wish a bomb would fall on the exhibition and kill all the children. So, um, I mean, we all have, like, yeah. the occasional violent thought. Well, like. I mean, he, he was 11 at this point, 11. and me as a, an 11-year-old was starting, well, I mean, I was always kind of weird as a kid. Yeah. Um, like, I, mean, I made so. my own I made my own Ouija board when I was seven years old, so that Hell tells yeah. you kind of how fucked up I was. Yeah. I'm not a serial killer. I made a tutu for my Batman action figure. Did <laughs> I ever tell you about that? No. I made a tutu for him. That's I just thought it was so funny. That's fantastic. Anyway, yeah. Um, we were not yeah anyway um yeah so but just the fact that i don't know it, the way that it's phrased makes it kind of seem that he's just like he was actually this. serious yeah and it wasn't just like you're just like oh this is such a the lineup's so long i wish the place would just blow but i mean i've never once even said that like i wish i, I mean no i yeah. i mean i don't want to speak for anyone else yeah because sometimes these thoughts are pretty harmless like yeah, I get I so angry sometimes I'm like I will just punch you in the face yes, so hard yes and I can't even count how many times I've just wished that I had like a massive 
like a monster truck and I could just run <laughs> through traffic. I am <laughs> I'm a very road ragey driver. But yeah, so it but just the way like at eleven years old and to have this kind of like and kill all the children. It's not even like kill everybody, it's kill all the children. There's a particular way you said anyway. Yeah, but I mean it kind of makes well, to me, it makes sense because, A, if you were to go into a place like this, the children are the most annoying, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. And, B, he was bullied yes. by yes. other children. That is very so. true. That is very true. Um, but, yeah, no, moving on, he was set, after, like, this situation happened, he was sent to a school for the emotionally disturbed children, and that was in Kingston, Ontario, which is east. Yes. Like, about two and a half uh, uh, Yeah, two and a half two hours, and a half hours right? right here. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's a pretty big move away from downtown Toronto. And again, this is this would have to be the 40s. Yeah. And so, even I, even now, Kingston still has a bit of a small town feel. Like I was yeah. just there recently. It, it's not a like I wouldn't call it a very urban city. No, I, I don't think it ever has been. Yeah. It's not really a small town anymore. No. But I imagine in the 40s, it was a very small very town. small town. So it's like a huge move from downtown Toronto. And uh, away from his family. But anyway, so when he was there, he started to act on his strong sexual urges on other children. And so mm. Woodcock claimed that it was consensual because he, apparently he had, uh, he claimed that he had consensual intercourse with a 12-year-old girl when he was 13. But considering who is saying this, I'm not 100% sure it's actually consensual. Also at that age, yeah. you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. Um, well, that's why the age of consent is at least 16 in most yeah, places. Yeah, but I think the law is that, like, if if you were to be 12 years old, it better be some Like, if you're going to have sex, it needs to be with somebody within a year. I believe yeah. that's what the law is. But, I mean, that's just... Here, at least. But that's, you know, kind of just the strict rules. But whether yes. or not it was really consensual is still oh, yeah, this highly is into completely, question. Yeah, because this guy is a psychopath. Literally. Um, legitimate psychopath. Um, and, okay, so when he was 15, he was discharged from the school, and then he went back to um, live with his parents, and then he was re- enrolled into the private school that he had gone to, like, hmm. you know, when they sent him to the private school yeah. in order to, like, correct him, whatever, um, but it did not work. So by the age of 16, he was put back into public school, which is where it started to uh, go down south because the, the kids that he that were bullying him were there, and they remembered him, and they continued to bully him. Uh, yes. So he was 16 years that's old. That's like sending me back into high school. Oh, I would probably be a serial yeah. murderer, too. Yeah. And I do also want to mention that he was an excellent student. He did very, very well. He tested very, very well, which is another marker of psychopaths because they're very good at retaining information like mm-hmm. that. Um, but yes, anyway, um, he used to bike around all the time when he had reached... The, well, when he went back home to Toronto, he had... A, Prize possession, which is a red and white Schwinn bicycle. Don't know what the hell that is. Um, the bicycle. It's literally <laughs> just a bicycle, but like the point of. I anyway. think. Well, I think. Uh, I don't know cycling, but Schwinn sounds like it could be slightly probably more something. Yeah, well, it's he, not your eighty dollar Walmart bike. No, and he's coming from an upper middle class family, living in an upper middle class area of uh, Toronto. So I'm not surprised. Um, but he would take it and wander, wander the city, and it didn't matter what time of year it was. He just kept wandering everywhere. He would go far. And, uh, and like, in Toronto, that's, that's a pretty significant distance, too. Um, let me just... Hold on. I, let me get the... They had lived somewhere in particular. Um, sorry, just give me one moment. Ah, you can hear me yawning because I'm a tired... Oh, my God. Tired we chugged coffee old. before coming in here, but it's, like, not, no. not working. <laughs> I think it was mostly sugar than coffee. <laughs> I swear it said it somewhere else. Anyway, okay, not important. I, I just wanted to get the actual neighborhood he was in, but... I think it was, like, around central Toronto, but anyway. Um, so when he would, like, travel all around, he had this, like, fantasy where he led a gang of 500 invisible boys, and he called it the Winchester Heights Gang. How old was he? 16. Say 16? Which I, is a little too old to be running around. I mean, uh, to be fair, you know, I understand daydreaming. It's where that fantasy stops in the line of your reality yeah. that's a concern 500 boys though 500 invisible boys in the winchester heights gang yeah maybe I maybe totally winchester heights was the neighborhood winchester <laughs> heights gang totally see that as a bad name um but yeah so his parents were aware that he was traveling around they were also aware that he thought that he was like the leader of 500 boys on bikes called the winchester heights gang but they didn't know that when he was going out and about that he was sexually assaulting children wonderful yes um, so we're going to move into the first murder um, on September 15th, 1956. So Peter Woodcock would have been 17 years old at this time. So based on our schooling system, probably starting grade 12. 
Yes. Because if it was September 15th, that would be that would place them into like week one or week two of school. Yes. So yeah. this would be your senior year. Senior basically. year. Although we did have grade 13. We did, yes. But the equivalent of what would be senior year this uh, now. But um, so I... So, and yeah. I believe that might play a factor because um, if he's going to public school and he's being bullied within two weeks of starting school, he kills his first person. But anyway, um, so he was riding his bike around um, the exhibition place, as we mentioned earlier, and he met a seven-year-old boy named Wayne Mallet. Um, he lured the boy out of sight and then proceeded to strangle him to death. Um, and then the boy's uh, body was found in the early hours of September 16th, so the next day uh, his body was not there for too long. Um, he was dressed in a British schoolboy blazer, a shirt, and plaid pants. And it appeared that his clothing had been removed and then he had been redressed. So this was the part that was confusing because... Yeah, pro- was... we, we couldn't figure out if they meant that he, like Wayne Mallet, was already wearing this British schoolboy blazer shirt and plaid pants. And then um, Wayne had, or sorry, uh, Peter had taken it off and then put it back on. Or if he was wearing other clothes and Peter had given him or dressed him in this yeah. British schoolboy Because, I mean, like... A private school or a Catholic school would likely have a uniform. Yes. So that could be where it came from. Yes. Um, but it was just a weird, it was a weird detail for them to have pointed out. In the yeah. Article. And, but the redressing, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I just don't know if it was like Wayne was already wearing it. And then he just, yeah. I it's a lot more fucked up if he went and got a different set of clothes and redressed him in yeah, those Yeah. And then it would kind of tie back into like, because his fixation with these boys, like the invisible boys and like the school, like the school children being like. He's bullying not him. bullying him, and he's yeah. not getting along with them. And um, he's also, like, as I mentioned earlier, he was able to get along with children who are younger than him, but not anybody who is his age. Um, but, yeah, so the uh, the boy, uh, Wayne Mallet's face was pushed into the dirt, and there were two bite marks on his body, uh, one on his calf and the other one on his buttock. And there was no evidence of rape, but there was pennies found ritualistically sca- uh, scattered near the body, and hmm. someone had defecated next to the victim as well. Um, they say someone uh, at the time they didn't have DNA testing, no, not, not even for close to it. Couple decades, yeah. So they couldn't say definitively that it was Peter who did that. But the pennies around the body, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, this is looking like way into it, and it's totally pulling shit out of my ass. Yeah, but I mean, that's what we're here for. Yes, <laughs> but in in a lot of cultures, like a. Like, when this was, I mean, ages ago, I was probably three years old, but when my grandmother passed, um, we had, like, a traditional Buddhist funeral, Mm -hmm. and, like, coins are put on the eyes as passage into the afterlife. And it's like that with a lot of different cultures, too. There's, like, a token. But I don't think this is is that, because he doesn't seem like he would um, be into that sort of thing at 16. But the uh, Wayne wasn't even, like, this poor boy wasn't even... Like, his face was pushed down in the dirt, you know? So it yeah. wasn't like it was sending off. But I can absolutely see how he might have interpreted that his way. Yeah. As, or, like, tokens for the afterlife. But also, I mean, huh. tokens for the before. afterlife is... But that's really a push because, that again, is, yeah. there's no indication so far that yeah. he was into that sort of thing. Yeah. But you also... He's having all these fantasies. We don't know what other fantasies right. he's having. Right, right. And because, well, I mean, this was also happening uh, in the 50s, so there's only so much documentation but yeah. yeah, okay, so moving on to the next murder, um, and that happened on October 6th, 1956, so a couple weeks after the September 15th murder of Wayne Mallet, but um, Peter was riding his bike around Cabbage Town. Uh, That's in Toronto. That's a yeah, neighborhood in Toronto. Yeah. I don't know. I don't don't, don't we, test we, me on geography, please. Yeah. <laughs> I have you t- looked it up last time. Anyway. Did we? Uh, <laughs> well, I did, but anyway, oh. I totally forgot about that. Anyway, um, so he picked up nine-year-old Gary Morris. Um, then he drove the boy to Cherry Beach. Now, this, we know where this is. Yes, because we've taken my dog there to jail. Yes, we, yeah, and it's 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 along Lake Ontario, but it's very much south of the city. Let me just look that up really quick. It's, um, yeah, because it's a beach, it's out of the urban area. Like, yeah. So there's not, oh. I mean, now there's more things. I would imagine it's oh. much more isolated. Um. Oh, Mary's looking up where Cabbage I'm Town is. I'm literally, yes. I think, I think I know exactly where this, yeah. Okay, so, oh, so Cherry it's Beach about is straight a 20 south. minute, yeah. Um, 
I've been to concerts there. That's why. <laughs> the Phoenix Concert Theater, which is uh, near the area. And it's, like, right by... You see where, like, Church and Wellesley is? It's just east of that. Oh, yeah. I have definitely been... Yeah, so it's, like... And it's also close enough to the uh, Don Valley Parkway, which comes into play later. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it is a, it's a pretty far... Like, as a bike, like, it's a 20-minute drive. If you were biking... Um, okay, it says about 20 to 25 minutes, but he, he basically took this boy. Well, this is 20, 20 minutes because they have a trail there now. That's right. There might not have been a trail there before. Yeah, So we don't know how far this was really back then. Yeah, and Toronto, well, old Toronto is also very, like, it's a big old mess (laughs) the way that they, like, (laughs) mapped it out. Anyway, um, yeah, so he took Gary Morris down to to Cherry Beach. Uh, he strangled him and beat him to death. And a coroner later determined that Morris had died from a ruptured liver. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that, that, that it was a really severe beating that he gave this poor boy. Um, and then uh, Gary Morris's body was found with a bite mark on his throat. Um, so not two bite marks like Wayne, but uh, definitely a bite mark. And then this time paper clips were ritualistically sprinkled near the corpse. And also the clothes had been removed from the victim and then he had been redressed. I think, I think he's, they were wearing it and he just took it off and put it back on. Maybe. Yeah. He probably did something. Yeah, but they're saying there's there's no, I don't know, they didn't say it with this one, but the first time around with Wayne Mallet, there was no evidence of rape. So I don't know what the fuck he was doing. I mean, they say no evidence of rape, but you're really, but that's thinking traditional, like, was there any kind of penetration? That's right. There are other That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, It's also the 50s, like, not to, like, devalue their detective work and their, like, investigative work. But the understanding work, was different. Very, very different. And, like, we did previously establish that he was sexually assaulting kids. And he was, he was yeah. um, having sexual fantasies. And I, I'm surprised it didn't go into more, like, the sexually assaulting children. I'm surprised it didn't describe that more. But, I don't know, again, 50s. But it's very, I, I mean, there's so many undocumented cases now. Yeah, honestly, that's very true. And kids, kids don't know. They're scared. No. They just don't want to think about yeah. it. I mean, adults don't want to think about no, it. No, God, no. Um, so, anyway, this leads us into the third murder. Um, this happened on January 19th, 1957. So, a couple months later, unlike the two rather, f- like, close to each other murders, yeah, um, Peter was riding his bike when he approached four-year-old Carol Voice. So, she was a girl this time around and younger than the two of them because uh, Wayne was seven and Gary was nine. Mm-hmm. Carol was four. He offered her a ride. He drove her under the Bloor Viaduct Um which uh, the Don Valley Parkway is a major like highway in that Toronto. Runs, it runs south. It runs south. So every every other city that would be nearby, like in the Greater Toronto area, you would probably be taking the DVP, which sucks uh, if you want to get to downtown Toronto. Yeah. And um, or if you want to use a highway to get in, I should say. I don't know. Is there a Drake reference to this highway? <laughs> Honestly, I I. I'm surprised, but no, he, he references a lot of other roads, like... Probably because this is one of the... Western. It's also known as the Don Valley parking lot. Yes, because it is terrible. It is very, very slow. It's, like, the infrastructure is piss poor. But, um, there's... So, the Bloor Viaduct is, like, it's, uh, one of our streets, Bloor, uh, crosses over the DVP, and it is a bridge. It is a beautiful bridge. Um, and it overlooks, uh, well, the DVP goes under it. Um, but in the midpoint, there's another road on the other side, but in the midpoint, it's more of like a park situation. There's like, I think I'm pretty sure there's a trail down there, but okay. it's also like there's, there's trees and it's like, it's, it's a beautiful scenery, beautiful scenery, but, but isolated, very isolated. It's not the easiest to get to. Again, I'm pretty sure there are, there are trails and like there are people walk down there all the time. Now. And recently actually <laughs> the, it made news. Um, I don't know if you saw, uh, there was like a prank. Pulled oh yeah, the, the car. The car. I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know. There Someone was a hung car, a car from the from the Bloor Viaduct. It was like just a car dangling, oh, and they still haven't figured out who did that because it was just literally just like it looked like it was hovering. Well, they're not going to now because now they're knowing a bunch. Of, yeah, they're in a yeah, bunch of shit. Oh, there's so much shit because police had to get involved and they had to cut it. I still don't know how they got it up there and how they did it without anybody. It's probably U of T engineering students. Let's yes. be honest. Yeah, like that. That's the current theory because like it, well, there was also a theory that it was for a movie 
movie, but there was there's no permit, there was no uh, filming crew, there was nothing Could there. Could an indie thing, a YouTuber. I guess, I guess <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. shit, I didn't even think about that, yeah. But, um, so this viaduct, like, it's, it's not the easiest to get to, but it's also, like, very visible from the DVP, which is how I'm shocked that they managed to get a full-ass car there, because, like, there's, the DVP, there's always... Always traffic on the DVP. Like, in the middle of the night, there are cars on the DVP. Yeah, but but not enough. It might have been too dark. It might have been too dark. And honestly, if you saw something weird happening, chances are you're just going to keep driving. Oh, yeah. No no judgment. (laughs) No judgment. It's just human behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, going back onto this. (laughs) No more dangling cars. We're talking about murder, and then we're just like, dangling cars. Yes, now back to the really sad stuff. Yeah. Um, he So he took her under the Bloor Viaduct, and he murdered her there. Um, when she was found, her clothes had been pulled off, so she was not redressed. Mm. Um, she had been choked into unconsciousness and then sexually molested. And her death was caused... And this is, like, just... This is terrible. Um, her death was caused by... Huge a, trigger warning. Yeah. Uh, a tree branch being forcibly inserted into her vagina. So the difference between the other two... The other two were boys, and they were a little bit older, and they had been, like... The way that he had approached their bodies was very reverent. Except for the, you know, pushing the Well, absolutely. And he killed them. But, like, um, he had, like, redressed them and he, like, did ritualistic shit around them or whatever. Um, Violent, mind you. Horrible, mind you. But he did give them that sort of, like, his perceived... What I'm assuming would be his perceived, yeah, respect. My my armchair psychologist analysis would be to say that maybe he felt bad. Yeah, or I don't know, tying back into the yeah. whole schoolboy situation. Like, I, I, there's, there's got to be some. I 100% believe that there's a connection there. Sorry, I just want to put that maybe my little squeak got caught on the microphone, but these chairs are like rocking chairs in the sound gone booth. Awful. Gone and awful. Um, I almost smashed my face into yeah. the screen. So I was like, I'm just going to keep talking. You know, it, be- <laughs> I, because there's just that little squeak there, I just yeah. want to. Explain what that yes. was. Let's move on. You're not just anyway. Um, yeah, no. The difference between uh, Wayne and Gary was that Carol. It was just violent, just violent. Yeah. Um, no, like completely and disrespect no to. Like, there's yeah. like no, and it's like very. That is the part that alarms me. Like the the complete separation from the other two is what alarms me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, all of this is alarming, but like this, it's like why was he so like this towards women? Or, like, not woman, like, the little girl. But clearly there was a, a deviation in his mind between boys and girls, you Either know? that or he was just escalating. Because yeah. there is a, like, how long true. of a gap? Uh, four months? Couple months. Uh, so, Three-month gap. Yeah-ish, yeah. Three-month gap. I mean, the, it to me, that seems like a huge escalation within three months. But, honestly, what do I know? Well, because the, the first two happened so close to each other. They were, like, maybe three or four weeks apart mm-hmm. at most. So yeah, I don't moves. know, but there's a huge pause, and then all of a sudden there's just violence against this girl. Anyway, um, so people saw him uh, leaving the viaduct, like uh, Carol's crime scene. They didn't see him actually committing the murder, but they saw him leaving. And then um, they were able to make a composite sketch, and then by the next day he was arrested. And uh, that places us, or rather, um, it places us on January 21st. So, okay, so the 19th is when the murder happened. By the time they did the composite sketch and everything. Oh, and they published it in the Toronto Star. Right. Uh, That was the 20th, and then by the 21st, he was arrested. So that was really quick, two days. Yes, which is very, very impressive. Well, Um, I mean, a four-year-old girl in such a... I'm assuming everyone was like they wanted him dealt with. Um, So he confessed to all three murders, and what he said on, on his arrest... Um, And I quote, my fear was that mother would find out. Mother was my biggest fear. I didn't know if the police would let her at me, which is alarming, is very alarming, very, very alarming. And like, there's just like no, he didn't care about anything else other than the fact that his mom was going to get at him, which is very, very abusive. Oh, yeah. He was definitely under her thumb there in an abusive, manipulative way. And I don't know, it makes me kind of wonder if maybe like, it had, I don't know, because the, the violence that he exhibited against Carol voice makes me think that his mother was a lot more... Maybe maybe she was escalating yeah. in how she was treating him. Also, um, something to point out is if you actually look up pictures of Peter Woodcock, mm-hmm. um, he looks very like Norman Bates. Yeah. He's very... It's very proper, very clean, but he's very Norman Batesy. yes. Um, 
Anyway, continuing on, he was only tried for the murder of Carol Voice, by the way. They didn't try him for the murder of Wayne or Gary. Um, it doesn't say why, but I'm assuming it's because they had no concrete evidence. Yeah, and no one could, saw it. No one saw it, and he can say whatever the hell he wants. Because um, I would assume these would also have been in the newspaper as well. Yeah, and then the on top murders. of that, they're so different than the way that he murdered Carol. If he murdered Carol the same way that he murdered Wayne and Gary, maybe. but They could link it, yeah. Yeah, but there's too much of a separation, and again, they didn't have... DNA testing back then, mm-hmm. so they couldn't do that. Um, so on April 11th, 1957, after a four-day trial, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity, and he was sent to the Oak Ridge Division of the Maximum Security Penetanguishene Mental Health Center, Penetanguishene, Ontario. <laughs> yes. Um, well, at least you can pronounce it. I can't. Don't yeah, make me try. Yeah, Penetanguishene. There we go. That is, whew, okay, it's nine north. hours Nine hours up north, and it is... Um, it's, is that the Jordan Oh, Bay? that's my bike. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, it, okay, it's so two and a half hours driving north. Um, yeah, I think that is Georgian Bay. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is yeah, Georgian it's by Bay. the Georgian Bay. Yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty big move up north. Um, I'm assuming, like, it was just, like, a small, small town. I think there. it is. Yeah, a small, small town. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, when he was in prison... He did go under psychi- uh, psychiatric therapy, um, all different kinds, LSD treatments, which were popular in the 1960s. Which is, you know, very, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, let's make people who are already, you know, mentally unstable go on mentality. Trips. These lovely little altering. trips. Yes. yes. He was under a bunch of personality-breaking drugs, and he was also subjected to dyads, which is where um, you'd sit two people together and you, well, the original dyadic therapy is like, yeah, you sit two people together and you have them talk to each other with the intention of like, um, breaking down each other's. Yes. And like, a t- well, making a connection is really the important part. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> By making them argue. Yes. Well, in this case, they were doing the argument where they, they were trying to challenge each other's belief systems. And it just, it didn't work. It obviously didn't work. Um, but there was, there was a very fun fact. The guy who had invented this, um, uh, he's a Harvard psychologist and former CIA interrogation and psychological warfare expert by the name of Henry A. Murray. Which is kind of startling because you want to put someone on psychological warfare yes. with people who are already disturbed. Yeah, yeah. but I guess they, they had some sort of inkling that he was disturbed he, of a variety that needs more than just regular therapy. Um, and then uh, one of his uh, one of Murray's volunteer subjects uh, during this personality destruction um, dyad thing was Ted Kaczynski, who would become the future Unabomber. That was just, like, a fun little tidbit. Yeah, so clearly, you know, this worked, right? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Fucking hell. Um, Well, yeah, so, yeah, okay, so Woodcock obviously didn't respond to it. Um, He did engage in coercive sexual acts and exploited his fellow inmates, who were often not as smart as he was, um, or less sane as as him as well, because he was in a mental health facility, too. So he would uh, convince them that he had contact with with an outside mythical group, um, and in order to be initiated uh, to what he called the Brotherhood, which is this gang, they had to perform oral sex on him and bring him gifts of cigarettes. Sounds legit. Yes. Yeah. The Brotherhood that lives outside. But, I mean, when you're under that much duress and that much yeah, yeah that's, so you kind he, of he cling to complete. any sense of hope and when yeah and if you're not f- full like fully sane of mind like i could absolutely see how you could be he could definitely egg you on mm-hmm. um yep so he was eventually transferred to a less restrictive institution and he arrived at brockville psychiatric hospital and th- I, this makes me so angry. They indulged his passion for trains. They took him to some train museum, <laughs> and they took him to see the Silence of the Lambs. That's a wonderful idea. That is absolutely wonderful. You've killed people. You know what we're going to do? What we'll make you watch see- a movie about a fucking cannibal. Oh, my God. Take him to see Aladdin. <laughs> Fuck, man. Take him to Wait. see The Little Mermaid. Those weren't um, out yet, I think. The Silence of the Lambs? No, 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 no. Aladdin and Little Mermaid? Oh, probably not. <laughs> Lion King. F- oh, but there's murder in that, too. Oh, yes, there is. And also, that was in the 90s, my friend. I don't fucking know my own timeline. Anyway. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, eventually, he does do stuff in the 90s. This is why we're leading up to it. Um, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what that was. Completely uh-huh. intentional. Yep, 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 yep. Anyway, um, so during this time, he changed his name to David Michael Kruger. Yes. Meaningful stare. I think um, there's a there's a running joke that serial killers, for some reason, all have three names. 
Oh shit. <laughs> They always Michael have a Kruger. they just always have a middle name, yeah, and they go by the middle name. Yeah. And um, so there was another killer by the name of Bruce Hamill who killed in Ottawa. Um, who Woodcock? I'm going to keep calling him Woodcock. Um, he met in Penetang Machine Mental Health Center, but uh, Bruce Hamill got better and he left and he started better, to quote unquote quote unquote and he started to work as a security guard at an Ottawa courthouse. Um, and so when he when uh, Woodcock was at this Brockville Psychiatric Hospital. He was able to make, uh, or rather rekindle his relationship with Bruce Hamill. And he managed to convince Bruce Hamill that there was an alien brotherhood and that um, it would solve, like, mm-hmm. he can join them and solve all his problems if he killed another inmate at Brockville by the name of Dennis Kerr. Kerr? Oh, my God, we had this issue last time. Kerr or Care? Care. Care? K-E-R? Yeah. Anyway. So July 13th, 1991... Um, Bruce Hamill went to a hardware store, bought a plumber's wrench, hatchet, knives, and sleeping bag, went to the Brockville Hospital, and signed out Woodcock on his first publicly escorted day pass, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) And it was the first, it was like his first unsupervised release in 34 years, like the first time they had let him out. And within the first hour, uh, Woodcock met uh, Dennis Kerr in in the woods near Brockville, um, with the intention of loaning care five hundred dollars, I don't. Who the fuck is like? Oh, let me call up my dude who's like in a in a, in a facility and let's just borrow five hundred bucks from him. What the fuck? Wait, so Dennis Care? It says he's a inmate. So I'm assuming he's a he's a former inmate then. I'm assuming he's a former inmate. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So he met up with Care, loaned him five hundred bucks, and then what? Or rather, with the intention of doing that, when Care arrived, uh, Woodcock struck him in the head with a pipe wrench continued to beat him into unconsciousness. Uh, Woodcock and then and Hamill then seized, sorry, seized the hatchet and knife they had hidden in the bushes while waiting for Kerr's arrival. They hacked and stabbed Kerr, mutilated his body, cut him open, severed, nearly severing his head. Um, and then when they were drenched in his blood, they stripped themselves naked and sodomized the corpse. I mean, why not, right? Go big or go home. Like, holy fuck, <laughs> man. What an absolute, if, like... If you're going to be signed out from a... This all happened within yeah. the first hour of him being unsupervised, by the way. Within uh, look, one hour. If you have this opportunity, you might as well seize it is probably what he figured. Like, yeah, but holy <laughs> fuck. The two of them were literally, yeah. like, brutalizing the corpse and then dancing the fucking blood, man. And then, like, raping the corpse. Like, yeah. what the fuck? Um, so Woodcock left the scene, walked his ass to a police station about two miles away, and then turned himself in. So re- we don't know why he chose... Dennis. It doesn't say why why he chose Dennis. And it could be, uh, honestly, the way the psychopaths operate, there could have been something that Dennis cared, said, or did, even unwittingly, yeah. that uh, Woodcock took as a grave offense to him, yeah. that he needed to be murdered in order to, like, get rid of the offense. Mm-hmm. Like, it could have been fucking anything. And, like, it's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying yeah. because anything that care could have done that could have been misconstrued as an offense was, like... Could have looked at him the wrong way. An absolute death sentence. And then what Woodcock could have done was, like, be, like, pretend to create a relationship with him and become friends and, like, mm-hmm. and like build up the situation where they're, like, buddies just with the express intent yeah. of killing him. And, like, Care obviously... he's bl- closer, right? Yes. And Care obviously trusted him because he yeah. fucking was like, yeah, I'll borrow money from you and I'll meet you out in the Remind, fucking woods. like, also... I mean... This guy was in jail for 30-odd years. Yeah, well, I don't know how long Kara was, but... But uh, what Woodcock was. was. So where would one get $500 I while being no in jail for that I, But I, I also don't understand how the um, the prison system works. Because I know they can work, but I don't know how the money... Because I know they can get paid. At uh. least here you can get paid for the work that you do, I believe. Um, it's not, I don't even think it's minimum wage. I think it's like very small, but I think it's with the intent of at least giving you like a, a meaningful, something that you could use when you eventually go out. And he wasn't even in jail. Mind you, he was in a facility. True. So, um, because he was, uh, not guilty by reasons of insanity. Mm -hmm. So like, it's not like he was like shackled away. He was literally, he was in a secure, secure, presumably secure area. Secure-ish. Um, and so I'm assuming that this would have been rehabilitative or what they um, would have perceived as rehabilitative for him. So have a job like bagging groceries yeah, or whatever true. the fuck. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, so for Killing Care, uh, Woodcock was actually transferred back to the Penetang Machine Mental Health Center where he spent the majority of his like earlier years and where he had originally met, Bru- met, met Bruce Hamill. 
Um, and then, yeah, he was just, like, after that, he just spent his days there, was in a number of documentaries, whatever. And then um, on March 5th, 2010, his 71st birthday, he died. Whoa, that was his actual birthday. He died of natural causes. Happy fucking birthday, you monster. Yeah, right? Um, yeah. So, like, yeah, and, and like, they, they've asked him so many times why he did what he did. He can never come up with a straight-up answer, which is the same thing with most uh, psychopaths. Like, unless, like... Well, one of the hallmarks of psychopathy is a disconnect with reality, yeah. right? So whatever motivations he has would probably not make much sense no, to the rest of the No, absolutely not. And, like, like I said, like, with... Well, going back to care, like, any perceived offense is an offense, yeah. Any perceived offense is an offense. And that could, like, it could be so inconsequential to the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he cut in line in front of me while got to go get food. Like, most of us would be like, asshole, whatever. And yeah. then you fucking forget about it. Yeah. You know? But then it, that's... Some people really know how to hold on yeah. to grudges. Sorry. Just <laughs> that was creepy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, he did say in a 1993 interview, I'm accused of having no morality, which is a fair assessment because my morality is whatever the system allows. And considering he got away with a fuck ton of shit, whatever the system allows is pretty apt. Yeah. Yeah. I still can't believe this fucking facility. Oh, let's go to let's go to the train museum. Let's go see. <laughs> let's go watch Silence of the Lambs. Oh, you want to go out I with mean, your friend who was a former inmate? Yeah, absolutely. The, you can the go out for the train weekend. museum. I get because I would imagine for a lot of people who are mentally ill, like having that little bit of joy sure, does go a long sure, way. Silence sure. of the Lambs, though, is completely irresponsible. <laughs> completely, and then like. I can't believe they're just like, oh, you, Mr. Bruce. Oh, okay, maybe, you know what? I'm going to be fair. But this was the 90s. They would have had records. But I guess they didn't have electronic records. Would they have the way that we do? I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it would be, I don't know. I feel like with that, they probably thought. Silence of the Lambs was 1991. Uh, So um, I'm pretty sure uh, Lion King was 92. (laughs) We're still going back to this. We are. Oh, it was 94. What was 92? Probably. Anyway. Oh, not important, but like the. Go away, Siri. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, no. So like it's. Fuck me, man. Of all the movies. Fuck. Uh, I, I can only just imagine like the people who were sort of in charge of his hair and letting him. Oopsie poopsie. Yeah. He not only murdered somebody, he brutalized their body, fucking raped him and danced in his fucking blood. Like, God fucking damn it. That makes me so angry. Like, that is, like... And, okay, to be fair, he's probably very manipulative, probably been able to be like, look yeah. at me, I'm rehabilitated. Look at me, I'm responsible. No, I'm able. So it's, whatever. But is I, it sociopaths that... I know sociopaths tend to have very superficial charm. Mm-hmm. Like, they know how to, you know, appeal to people. Do psychopaths have that? They can. They okay. can, like, um, through assessment of other people, they can copy... Yeah. How they behave. That's why a lot of times when there's, like, serial murderers, people are like, what the fuck? They were so nice. And, like, yeah. I didn't, whatever. Um, it's because they're able to, like, mimic other patterns and kind of put on, it's like a show. However, they don't understand the feelings. They don't understand the emotions that they're dis- mm-hmm. ex- uh, expressing. It's usually, and they can often have very incorrect responses to situations. Like, you see somebody, like, dying, and you're like, <laughs> and you're just like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, but it's it's that mimicking kind of, like, okay. oh, this, oh, uh, this is what shock would look like, yeah. Because, so. I mean, well, he didn't come off as the very charming kind of um, psychopath, you know, during his earlier life, but it's very possible, no. like, so many people can get away with shit on just and good behavior. he was smart, too, yeah. right? He was very capable of learning and, like... Um, applying himself in school and like doing very well on tests, but that is also like what is what would be an exemplary member of society, you mm-hmm. know. And so like, so people feel safe enough to let him out. For absolutely, day. and like psychopaths can be very very intelligent. They tend to be very intelligent. Yeah. Um. So like I like it's, I know I'm like all angry ranting, but the chances are he definitely played the part of I'm rehabilitated. I just want to go out with my friend. We're gonna go for a coffee. Tim Hortons wasn't it? Was Tim Hortons? I don't know. In, in, sure the, 90s, in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And we're gonna, just, go, we're gonna go grab a double double. Double double. You know what? I asked for a double double when I was in Australia and I didn't realize that double double was a Canadian thing. Stop. Yeah, I know, right? Um oh, and, founded in nineteen sixty four. God damn. Yeah, absolutely they could have been. Yes. Yeah. I don't know when the double double came in, but uh Yeah. yeah double double meaning poor, uh two milks 
or two cream, two sugar, rather. Yes. Um, which I did not realize. Unless you go double-double with milk, and they're like, okay, and then they realize you mean milk and sugar. Yes. Yeah. Double-double with sweetener, same thing. Yeah. Cream and sweetener. But, yeah. No, <laughs> We're talking way too much uh, on coffee. Anyway. anyway. Um, yeah, That's no. our long rambling. Uh, yeah. How? Yeah. So how long was that? 50, 50 hours? Hours. Yeah, it's 50 hours. Hours, yes. Of recording. We've been in this make, recording booth. I was going to make a Kanye West reference, but we're not talking about Kanye West right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're angry at Kanye West right now. Um, oh, okay. He's got a song called 30 Hours. But anyway, um, thank you for joining us. Yes. Uh, we hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, um, we'll have an email somewhere. <laughs> we'll have an email soon. <laughs> uh, someone already has Canada Obscura at Gmail. Don't blast them. Now they're going to get a shit ton. No, I don't care. As if they're that popular. As if they're that popular. But yes, if you like this or are hoping that we stop rambling so much in future episodes, I don't know, you can um, rate and subscribe and review and whatever on wherever you listen to podcasts and stuff. We're going to try to put it up wherever we can. Everywhere. Everywhere. So uh, there will be a Twitter account up soon, as well as an Instagram, I believe. Yes. Yes. And a website, and we're working on things. We're we are. It's been a little bit difficult. What the fuck is that? It's been a little bit difficult simply because. Oh, yes. <laughs> no one has a Canada Obscura Twitter page. Okay, do, do it now. Now. Do it now. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.